Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. Listen, you hear that? That's the sound of nothing. And nothing is what you'll pay for medium fries when you buy any Mickey D's new crispy chicken sandwich. It's crispy, juicy, tender, all-white meat chicken with crinkle-cut pickles on a buttery potato bun. Mmm. Buy one, and we'll hook you up with a free medium fries. That's like zero zilch zip. So try any Mickey D's new crispy chicken sandwich and get a medium fries for nothing. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, as it's the week of July 8th, 2019. On this week's show, the league has entered the All-Star break. Monday night is the Home Run Derby. And Tuesday night is the game itself, as it should be an entertaining affair with White Sox fans getting to watch Jose Abreu, James McCann, and Lucas Giolito play. We'll make our picks on who we think will win the Home Run Derby and the game itself. Plus, AAA has their All-Star game on Wednesday. But on Thursday, the Charlotte Knights are getting a big addition. Luis Robert is being promoted to the Knights. We'll discuss the impact of that promotion and dream how crazy his offensive output could be hitting the bouncy ball in the International League. Speaking of the minors, we'll recap the week that was down on the farm in the minor league reports and answer your questions at the end of the show for P.O. Sox. But first, the Chicago White Sox are 42-44 and 44 after splitting the two-game series against the Chicago Cubs at home, losing on Saturday 6-3, but winning on Sunday 3-1. to one. To help me recap that series as the White Sox headed to the All-Star break is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. This weekend had a deja vu feeling to it. Lucas Giolito meltdown causes a loss, but the Cubs can't figure out Ivan Nova. Why do you think Nova can shut down the Cubs, but Giolito can't? Well, I think they're... Two different cases, I think, with Nova. Part of it is luck. I mean, he gave up a lot of hard-hit balls. Uh, the exit velocity against him was pretty high. Had a couple 
flagged down the warning track, but I think eventually he settled down and got some grounders, but he got, he got lucky. And I think he's somebody who will get lucky from time to time. You know, he keeps the, he throws a lot of strikes. He doesn't get himself in trouble. So uh, we've seen a lot of cases where those hits do fall in, especially second time and third time through the order and, and bad innings pile up on them. But it's usually because the opponents do it. And, and there are some games where opponents just don't do it. So I think, uh, you know, it's maybe a little bit fortunate that's been the Cubs both times. But uh, he's, you know, he's done enough to you know throw five, six innings every time out. I think there's a little bit of separation between him and Reynaldo Lopez in terms of who's... Uh, you know, truly at the bottom of the rotation in terms of like the, you know, the full season performers. I think uh, Nova's on one tier and then Lopez is a, a definite tier below him when it comes to performance. Uh, so there's that. I think Giolito, you know, uh, part of it might be, you know, I think there are a few potential explanations. I mean, like his, his balance looked a little bit off all game. Uh, there were some weird hops and follow throughs and spins at some points, even when he was like going good in the first four innings, just... Didn't seem to have his usual rhythm. Um, part of it could be, um, you know, the big game atmosphere. He saw a bunch of players after the game talking about how they'd never seen a crowd like that before. And I think uh, Cease and Jimenez were talking about all the fights they saw in the crowds. And, uh, you know, something I'm not used to. And so maybe that's part of the thing where, you know, maybe it forces a guy like Giolito, who's, you know, mechanics are, you know, maybe is still a little bit delicate or a little bit, um, you know, where, where it requires more concentration for him to maintain. You know, maybe that's a case where that kind of environment helps him fall out of it. Um, there's another case to be made. I think it was uh, Larry, uh, uh, my former colleague, who said that, you know, given that Giolito has reworked his rotation with, uh, you know, a shorter arm swing and, and different mechanics. And, you know, he's spent the offseason um, focusing on a whole different part of his body when it comes to mechanics. If, you know, there's some fatigue setting in for muscles he hasn't used over the course of a full season, you know, maybe uh, the all-star break will do him good. So I wouldn't look too far into it aside from uh, just uh, a, an unusual environment uh, causing, or at least maybe helping contribute to an unusual performance. All right. So I have a crazy idea and I know you love my crazy ideas, Jim. Yes. I tweeted that the Milwaukee Brewers should consider trading for Ivan Nova because of his successful track record against the Cubs as the Brewers are currently half game behind the Cubs for first place in the National League Central. Now, obviously, as you mentioned, Nova is getting pretty lucky. I was checking baseball savant while attending Sunday's game, constantly looking at the exit velocity, constantly seeing exit velocities of more than 92 miles per hour coming from the Chicago Cubs hitters. So the White Sox were either in the right spots because of spray charts and good shifting to steal hits away or Nova was just really that lucky, especially some uh, key double plays in the game. Uh, but in his last five starts, Nova has a 3.81 ERA. Don't look at the FIP. That tells a different story. Uh, over 28 innings, 20 strikeouts to seven walks, 30 hits allowed, six home runs. Okay, so it's not the greatest, but this is a one-year deal for Nova that is with the White Sox is my idea of the Brewers or any National League Central team for that matter too crazy to see another team wanting to acquire Nova it's not too crazy in terms of you know Nova potentially being 
uh, an upgrade over uh, a rotation spot for a team. I, I don't think he provides much of an impact. I think, you know, when I, when I look at him, unless he really turns it on, like with the next couple starts where that, uh, you know, starts getting ground balls, the exit velocity drops, and the, you know, he, he looks like he's capable of facing a lineup a third time through with confidence. Um, I, I could see him being potentially interesting. I think if if he's not, and if he's a limited five inning starter who um, will provide innings and and you know doesn't get himself in trouble and doesn't really cause the bullpen huge problems, seems like he's more along the lines of Miguel Gonzalez or James Shields, um, you know, where he provides a professional effort but doesn't provide impact for a team making a postseason race. So the return you get for him isn't going to be that great. And when it comes to the White Sox and how many starters they're short and, and how hard it is for them to find innings from anybody. I wonder if that's going to be the case where, you know, they look at a guy like, you know, Novan and look what they can get back for him. And, and, you know, maybe it's like a low, a lottery ticket, or it's, you know, the kind of Ryan Cordell type who's going to be blocked from a 40 man roster. Uh, and, and I don't know if that provides the returns like a, a guy like Nova provides just by giving the bullpen rest, and not, you know, making Rick Renteria's life hell and not making the few good relievers hell, uh, lives hell just because, uh, you know, they're not getting innings. So I'm not, I'm not quite sure, but I can see, I, I think it's going to be tougher for a guy like Nova to be moved just because of the one trade deadline. Um, that would be, I guess, my counter argument. He seems like a guy who would be destined to be moved in August. And with the trade deadline being a single one, maybe that provides uh, inspiration for teams to shop in the lower tiers. And so maybe he is more desirable, but if he's not an impact guy, it just seems like he's one, he would ordinarily be moved in August when teams are just looking for anybody decent who isn't going to cost anything to plug a gap. Again, it's a crazy idea. It's a stretch, but if you're the Milwaukee Brewers who are hurting for starting pitchers, and you're looking for a cheap rental just to help you out for the rest of the season, especially the back end of the rotation, and you can acquire someone that, for whatever reason, the Chicago Cubs have a very difficult time scoring runs against, you could do worse than Ivan Nova if you're the Brewers at the moment. No, I can see that. It's just uh, more a matter of uh, you know whether they're looking for impact or not, like a Madison Bumgarner type. Right. That would make more sense for a team like Milwaukee. Um, but I feel like the last two years, Jim, we have mentioned that the Milwaukee Brewers should get an impact starting pitcher, uh, and they have passed on that. So yeah, uh, we'll see what they do again. It's a bit of a crazy idea, but it does flow into buy, sell, or hold. Uh, posting this question on Twitter again. Uh, just This is our fourth week doing this leading up to the trade deadline. Uh, again, there's only one deadline, as Jim mentioned. It is July 31st. The first week we did it, it was hold for the majority. Week two, the majority was sell. Last week, it was hold. So asking again for everybody on Twitter, what should the White Sox do prior to the trade deadline? Buy, sell, or hold? We had 780 votes on Twitter in four hours. So thank you guys so much for participating. If you'd like to participate in the future, you could follow me on Twitter at Sox Machine underscore Josh. And I don't know if it's just a win on Sunday, Jim, but 59% of 780 votes from White Sox fans want the White Sox to still hold at the moment, not make any trades, either buying or selling prior to the trade deadline. Where does your heart, or I should say mind, uh, set right now on what the White Sox should do prior to the trade deadline? I think I'm still at a pragmatic hold. 
I, uh, I I think I would if the White Sox had more depth to deal from from their farm system. I would say buy it for the kind of uh, you know pitcher like yeah, I mentioned Chris Chris Archer before the kind of multi year pitcher who maybe they can work with and and help upgrade the rotation for now and twenty uh, twenty and maybe even beyond that. But I think right now with the guys they have to deal, I don't see any massive returns coming. So I would say hold. What about you? I'm still at hold. I really am. I, I think, okay, here's another crazy idea, or at least it's crazy in my head. So let's speak this aloud. If I am Rick Hahn and I have a very good reliever in Alex Colome, I think my ask would be a bit ridiculous and some would say unrealistic, but I'm not trading Alex Colome unless I get a top 100 prospect back from him. I'm not looking for quantity, for Alex Colome, I am looking for quality. And I wouldn't move Alex Colome if I was the GM of the White Sox unless I got a top 100 prospect back for him. Yeah, it's Colome is weird. Um, I, I'm not quite sure what to make of him because last uh, his last 10 games, 11 innings, you know how many strikeouts he's had? Oh, God, I'm, I'm afraid to guess. Three? Yes. Oh, God. Like, he's getting some insane luck with batted balls. Some of it, I think, is his natural style, you know, with his with his cutter-heavy approach. I, I think he's somebody who can suppress contact. But he's getting some insane, uh, you know, batted ball stats and, and uh, results in save situations and such. So, I'm, you know, part of me wonders, you know, one should the White Sox steal him? Um, you know, whether they should, you know, keep him because, you know, he does bring a lot of order to the bullpen and they're getting a whole lot of, you know, a lot of the record is built on really protecting leads well. And I think, you know, Renteri has done a good job of leveraging the two to three good relievers he has to get those wins. And I think if you, if you take Colomay out of the equation and you're left with like Kelvin Herrera, like God, no, you know, there's just no. nothing, there's nothing there. So, I mean, that's, that's troubling, but I, I do wonder too, you know, if, uh, you know, a team is looking to acquire Colomay and sees the strikeouts dropping, you know, would they give that top hundred? Like, I don't think you know if, if Colomay were an ordinary, you know, having an ordinary good closer season where he's striking out a batter an inning, and he's got the you know, you know good ERA and good save conversion stats. Like, I don't think a top hundred prospect would be nuts, especially I would say in the back half, like a Matt Davidson for Addison Reed type, um, you know, type deal, which you know didn't really pan out the way the White Sox hoped, but I thought it was fair in terms of uh, you know a, an exchange of talent. Yeah, I don't think that's crazy, especially if, you know, it's a position player is blocked or in a you know, 40 man consideration or whatever. But when it comes to the way his his uh, his his rate stats are and his, and his strikeout rate and his uh, swings and misses, he's not getting anymore. Um, I, I wonder if he's not going to get that kind of return and the White Sox just have to hold because uh, what they're getting from him is better than what they're going to get from another team. Hmm. Yeah, I was thinking probably more realistic is anywhere from the 75 to 100 range, right? A, a team that's contending that is looking to add more into their bullpen, a veteran reliever like Colome, and as you mentioned, Jim, has the prospect depth that they can give up someone, maybe their fourth or fifth prospect, in a one-for-one one deal. That's what I would do, like a... Like what the Indians did with Brad Hand when they traded Francisco Meja to San Diego for Brad Hand. If you remember that deal, I believe that was last year that deal was made. Mm -hmm. So something similar because while he may be lucky, the White Sox still have an additional year of control for him. So there, I, I don't see an 
urgent need for the White Sox to dump Alex Colomay. I guess that's where I lie. And outside of Alex Colomay, I don't know who else you want to move if you are in the sell category. There are some people who are suggesting trading James McCann because his stock is so high. Are you in that boat, Jim? Is his? I mean, I guess his stock is high relative to what it was, but yeah, then you just throw your catcher situation to complete disarray once again when you're trying to compete. But that's what they do. Yeah, <laughs> that's but what and you know, Yasmani Grandal is there, and he won't you know have uh, uh, you know a draft pick attached to him. So maybe it's possible to go back in there. But if you're counting on the White Sox to you uh, uh, pony up for a catcher, you know who um, you know that they didn't show an interest in, you know, aside from a one-year deal before. I don't know. It seems like McCann is the type that I think they're going to be proud of, you know, <laughs> I guess uh, the results they've gotten from him as the one good free agent signing. Really, uh, you know, the White Sox have had such terrible luck when it comes to the open market that, you know, I wonder if they're going to um, just ride this one all the way in the ground. But, uh, yeah, theoretically, I could see it. But I, I think McCann right now, with how delicate the pitching situation is, how they have a lot of... Interesting, but incomplete catchers. Um, yeah, it, it, it's an interesting thought. I just don't uh, don't see them doing it, and I can see arguments against it just because you know if they don't get Grandall, then I don't know if you know if they can do better than what they've already done. And the thing about Grandall, there is this option year between Grandall and the Milwaukee Brewers. He's not guaranteed to be a free agent next season. Okay. So that's something to consider. I need to look it up if that's a team option or if that's a player option. If the ball is in Grandel's court to decide whether or not he wants to return to Milwaukee. And I think that really depends on how the rest of the season plays out. And, of course, what type of contract he can get uh, after, during this upcoming free agency period. Which, if he does become a free agent with how just diluted i guess if that's the correct word on this free agency class yeah it's it's a mutual option so he can decline it okay yeah so again but they mutually could agree for grandel to come back so it's not 100% certain that grandel will be a free agent good chance that he could be yeah if he wants to test looking at the year he's having yeah it's uh he's on pace for like you know nearly 40 homers Right. Uh, near a 900 OPS, and he won't have the draft pick attachment to him. So I think he'll be a free agent again. I would be all for that. Like, if they traded McCann with an idea for going hard for a Grandal. I guess, why not have both? Yeah. I mean, like, I'm saying if you get a good price for McCann, like, or, like, get a good return for him. Okay. Gotcha. Like, if if not trade him just because he's high and you, and you want to get rid of him just before his you know, stock collapses. Not for that, but... Yeah, if you got both, you know, if somehow you had working... Uh, uh, combo for both and yeah but uh yeah Grandal would be pretty fascinating i think and if the white Sox were if, if they said he's our guy um and mccann is gonna be a free agent at the end of the following season so and we're not gonna you know can't keep both of them because mccann can do better then yeah i could see that kind of situation but you know <laughs> when it comes to the white Sox, i'm not really comfortable with them you know putting all their eggs in a basket for a free agent because we've seen them swing and miss absolutely before. Absolutely. That's why I'm in the camp of if you are confident that Grandel is going to be a free agent, still keep McCann, sign Grandel. Grandel could always DH next year. And you can take someone like Zach Collins and you could trade trade him to help find a starting pitcher under control, right? 
to be part of a, an attractive package to bring somebody back in the offseason. There's multiple ways that you can play it, but I don't think it is the wisest move for the White Sox to trade James McCann now. I, I think the timing is bad, Jim. No, that's fair. Um, and I think there are teams, you know, like reading a bunch of uh, uh, stories about all-stars, flukes, hot first half, skin the continuum, McCann's the the one frequently targeted as a, somebody whose second half is not going to match his first. And, you know, when you watch him, you can see it because he does find a lot of holes and gets a lot of hits to where you think like, well, that's not going to happen. <laughs> so that random grounded left side isn't going to go through. But, you know, when you do watch him, you see, uh, you know, a little bit more authoritative contact. And I think, you know, the ball helps with him there. But he's got an all-fields approach, choking up with two strikes. You know, he, he does make his own luck at times. So I'm going to be fascinated to watch it uh, work itself out. But I think, you know, if teams are following the same wave, wavelength as, you know, uh, uh, writers like Eno Saris and such, uh, then I could see him not getting all that compelling an offer. Well, with the Chicago White Sox... The fans think, again, 59% that the White Sox should hold. We'll see what they think uh, when we record the podcast next week after the series in Oakland as we continue to march closer to the July 31st trade deadline. I thought there would be a little bit more movement prior to, but it's been really quiet since the New York Yankees have traded for Edwin Encarnacion. Uh, I think we're just going to have a flurry of moves in the last week of July, which will be very exciting to cover uh, and uh, we'll see if the White Sox are involved with it at all. But right now, Jim and I both agree the White Sox should hold a little bit longer before definitively either selling or maybe trying to find uh, some pieces to possibly buy. Now, speaking as far as some good news here, uh, Aloy Jimenez, he had a big two-run homer on Sunday to put the White Sox ahead. He now has 16 home runs in 2019, Jim. He's hitting 241 with a 303 on base percentage. Slugging 482, but in the last month, spanning 24 games, Aloy has 10 home runs, hitting 264 with a 340 on base percentage and slugging 644. The question I have, Jim, as we enter the All Star break for Aloy's rookie season, is 30 home runs within reach for him? Certainly. I think with the way you see him clobber it out and the way he can reach all parts of basically any park, uh, it seems like. Yeah, I can see him hitting 30 homers. I can see it being like a 30 homers with uh, 20 doubles, maybe a bit of an all or nothing type uh, approach. You know, when you had the conversation about Yohan Moncada, you know, with 70 extra base hits, I could see him reaching 70 extra base hits. When it comes to Menez, I think he would be somebody who hits like 30 homers but fails to get 60 uh, extra base hits just because of the way he makes contact and how it's kind of singles or, or, or going all out. Gotcha. So... Lots of singles, lots of home runs. Still has yet to find that stroke to get the doubles. Yeah, but I, I am seeing more walks, uh, you know, and more pitches taken, some longer at bats. So it's possible, you know, that could be something where he turns on the faucet and more hits of all kinds show up. I'm, I'm not throwing that out, but I think you know, for first year expectations, I think uh, you know maybe we'll see the raw power show up before. The hit tool and the understanding of how guys are attacking him and just how to keep his uh, um, anxiousness and, 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 and wanting to be a difference maker in check. Staying with the good news, Yohan Makata had a great series against the Chicago Cubs over the weekend. He was three for six with two doubles, two walks, no strikeouts. 
Mankata is now hitting 308 with a 364 on base percentage, slugging 544 on the season into the All-Star break. He has 16 home runs, 18 doubles, so it's given him a good chance to be a 30 home run, 30 plus doubles hitter. And Mikata has the current longest hitting streak in the major leagues at 13 games. And in his last 19 games, if those numbers weren't impressive enough, Mankata's hitting 394 with a 446 on base percentage, slugging 682. Jim is Yohan Mankata finding another gear offensively. Seems like it, uh, especially against left-handed pitching. I think this is a case where the, the White Sox have faced an insane amount of lefties, and I think the, the reps are doing them good. I, I think we've seen that improve from spring training, and he had a bit of a stumble out of the gate and uh, where the, the, the swing didn't quite look as smooth as it did in spring training, but now it's come back, and yeah, I think just the string of lefties and the repetition, the, the amount of learning he's doing is, is really coming together. And I'm looking at his uh, game log here, and... Last 20 games, he only has three multi-strikeout games, which I think, you know, doesn't sound maybe all that impressive for some guys, but I think for <laughs> for uh, Mankata, considering uh, the, the 200 plus strikeouts last year, uh, that's a that's a massive stride he's making. Um, and he, the fact that he can have a 13 game hit streak is is something we haven't seen from him before, and maybe wouldn't have expected from him. Uh, talking about him in the preseason just because of how far his hit tool seemed and especially his his right-handed swing. So the fact that he can put these at-bats together as a right-handed hitter just, I think, allows him to be a um, just a more consistent threat and, 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 and enforcing uh, managers to take him seriously and foiling managers when they try to bring in a lesser lefty to get him out. Like, you know, with the Cubs game with John Lester pitching, you know, Lester over 100 pitches – uh, seemed like he was losing it. Joe Madden stuck with him because, you know, because he had a Brayu backing him behind and he wanted to go to the righty and didn't want to turn Mankata around. But with Lester's stuff diminishing, you know, Mankata made him pay. And I, I think those are the kind of decisions that he can make very difficult on a manager now, especially a manager who doesn't take his uh, his platoon splits or his, his uh, progress as seriously as maybe he should. Yeah, unfortunately, Mankata... Won't be going to the All-Star game this year, which is a shame because, as I mentioned last week on the show, we're going to look back at Yohan Mikata's full 2019 season and ask, how did he not make it to the All-Star game? Um, Yohan Mikata right now is top 20 in all of Major League Baseball for qualified hitters in wins above replacement on Fangraphs.com and in weighted runs created plus. A top 20 player, Jim. We're talking about for Yohan Mikata. That's how great of a first half that he's having in 2019. And he's really turned a corner from last year. I still think Lucas Giolito has made far more improvements than Yohan Mikata. But we should not ignore the great progress that Yohan Mikata has made. uh, Because now he's becoming an offensive force. And you pair that up with Aloy Jimenez. And of course, Jose Abreu batting behind Mikata. And you can see where the White Sox could have some big innings. Yep, and and with uh, you know Anderson improving, and uh, I think Jimenez might have the kind of in-season improvement. You know, maybe not the year-over-year that we, see, we saw, especially Giolito. I don't think anybody is uh, um, 
matching what he's doing just from the depths to the heights uh, no. they're, they're, that's really yeah. that's a hell of a span he's created for himself uh but you know when it comes to the in-season improvement i think we're seeing you know real tent poles with this uh with this rebuild and uh from here it's just a matter of not having all their gains undermined by just the amount of negative uh wins above replacement guys that they have on the roster and with the lopsided um bullpen and you know the the the, uh sinkholes in the rotation like they just have a lot of problems to solve but i think they have a lot of plus guys who you know especially like say if mancada's uh uh, patience improves and if Jimenez starts taking more walks then you have uh more complete players who can you know keep the line moving and keep the the run totals you know not 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 feast or famine but more you know a steady five to six run drip yeah they're approaching the stars and scrubs model again yeah that's my big concern but at least the stars are showing up and uh yeah just here's hoping they learn and the the they is the front office yeah. right yes yep Correct. James Feagan wrote a good piece about that on The Athletic. I find it interesting as far as the timing because it's mid-July, and one would think this would be a piece written in mid-September. But nonetheless, uh, Rick Hahn may have, with his rebuild, returned back to the 2015 season as far as what he uh, built for that year trying to contend as far as the quality of talent that he has. What can he do as far as a better job or maybe in different methods to build around that talent? Because, uh, again, the White Sox are just two games below 500 at 42 and 44, but they are overachieving, Jim, by six games when you look at their expected win-loss record. They should be a 36-win team, but they got 42 wins, so they should be happy about that. But I agree with you. They... They are quickly approaching the Stars and Scrubs model, and I wonder how Rick Hahn this time around uh, in the second rebuild that he's going through will handle the Scrubs because I don't think he did a very good job the last time in 2015 and 2016. But as the Chicago White Sox go into the All-Star break, we'll discuss the All-Star game and the festivities here in a moment. But a quick word from our sponsor, SeatGeek. Baseball's halfway done, and there's no better place to get your tickets than on SeatGeek. I used SeatGeek this weekend to buy nine tickets for the White Sox and Cubs. We all came in as the party at different times into the stadium. So using SeatGeek, I was able to forward their tickets via text message, and they all told me how easy it was to get into the stadium. They just clicked on the link. They got the QR code. They were able to scan in. No downloading, no issues. They said it was a breeze, and they're definitely going to check out SeatGeek. And you should as well if you've never used SeatGeek before, because SeatGeek works by pulling in millions of tickets in one place so you can easily find the seats that you want for a price you are willing to pay. And there's nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for great value. And a very cool thing that SeatGeek has done as well is that they have done fan surveys for all 30 Major League Baseball teams about the stadiums and the fan experience, from the food to the traffic. They ranked it all. And if you want to check out as far as how each team ranks, you can go to www.seatgeek.com slash stadium hyphen guides and find out what fans have said, especially if you're going to visit the White Sox or travel with them to Oakland, Kansas City, or Tampa Bay after the All-Star break. Again, that's www.seatgeek.com slash stadium hyphen guides to check out the stadium rankings. But whether 
Uh, the White Sox rank high or low or whatever stadium that you visit for Major League Baseball. You can make sure to go out for a game this season with SeatGeek and to help you even get more savings on tickets, Sox Machine listeners get $10 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app onto your smartphone and enter promo code SOXMACHINE. That's promo code SOXMACHINE for $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek, life's an event, we have the tickets. And as I mentioned, Major League Baseball heads into the All-Star break and kicking off the All-Star festivities was the Futures game on Sunday night. And it ended in a 2-2 ties. They only played eight innings, which is very weird on why it was a shortened game. Um, but it was. And the good news for White Sox fans, both Luis Robert and Nick Madrigal got a lot of action in the game. Unfortunately, neither had a base hit, but a lot of people covering the game and the scouts that were there had really good things to say about both Robert and Nick Magical. And even more good news for Robert is that he's on his way to Charlotte as he's being promoted to AAA as Rick Hahn confirmed that rumor with reporters over the weekend after Luis Robert posted an Instagram photo saying that his time in Birmingham was up. And he has objectives to achieve, and he was on his way to Charlotte. So pretty much Luis Robert broke the news, and Rick Hahn had to confirm the news that Luis Robert broke. The wonderful aspects of journalism in 2019, especially for sports. And Jim, I think everyone's first thought is, man, Luis Robert is going to tear up AAA. (laughs) Uh, Especially with that juiced ball that they're playing with in the International League. Do you have that same feeling for him? More or less, you know, I think there could be some games where he has, you know, three strikeouts, goes over four, what have you. But, you know, seeing your main Mercedes come out from Birmingham to Charlotte and, and rake and hit, I think, five homers over his first 14 games. I can see a similar thing just because the the quality of his contact is so strong and the way how small he made Regions field look in Birmingham. Uh, you see so many guys make the jump from Winston-Salem to Birmingham and you know, struggle to find the power and have these massive home road split disparities. And Robert didn't really have that. You know, his his contact travels no matter where he's playing this. So to go from Birmingham to Charlotte and go from a big park to a small park is, uh, I can see some, some massive slugging numbers. I, I, I might see more strikeouts or you might see more strikeouts, but given, you know, one of the things I'm watching with home and road splits with Charlotte is just that guys, you know, pitchers seem more afraid of, uh, hitters at Charlotte and for good reason I think you know, it's a lot easier to hit a home run there and so I think you see higher walk totals for Charlotte hitters at home so that's one thing I'll be watching just to see if uh, you know he is pitched around more and if he takes those pitch rounds but I can see some uh, some gaudy slugging numbers and I think it'll come to uh, you know whether or not it's you know, pure service time manipulation uh, I think it will be it will require some scouting in order to know if Robert is just uh, making um, yeah, making a joke of the league because of the conditions, or if it's because uh, you know he is really improving and can replicate that success at the major league level, even you know slightly diminished. Yeah, Rick Hahn will not say either way if this is going to be the last stop for Luis Robert in the 2019 season. Obviously, everyone knows where I fall because of my bold prediction before the season that I thought Luis Robert could be called up in September by the White Sox. I'd still like to see that, Jim. But I I also posted a poll on Twitter over under eight and a half home runs hit by Luis Robert in AAA. And if you think about it, 
Triple A season picks up again on Thursday for the Charlotte Knights. So July, all of August into early September. Eight to nine home runs is a lot for Luis Robert for two months of action. Overwhelmingly, White Sox fans voted over eight and a half home runs. Like 87% of people who voted the poll thought it took the over an eight and a half home runs hit by Luis Robert with the Charlotte Knights. Are you taking the over on eight and a half home runs as well? I think I would. I think it would be a similar situation like we talked about with Eloy where there's a lot of homers and maybe not a whole lot of doubles or you know other good contact. The good contact he makes goes out. Um, but yeah, it seems like it's it's right for a lot of homers. I would say, I think the the another interesting question is if Robert doesn't get called up. Say if he if he lays waste to the international league, crushes it like way Eloy did last year. Like there's no reason why Jimenez shouldn't have been called up to the majors last year. The the defense reason, like as as bad as uh, his defense was in April and May. Um, you know, that, that wasn't going to get better by not playing. Like it was, it was going to be rough no matter what. Uh, the only answer to improving his defense is to play him in more games. So that wasn't really a reason to not call him up last year. Um, if, if Robert does the same thing and looks as ready as Jimenez did last year, uh, how are they going to keep him down? And I wonder if the argument is going to be um, workload. Because right now he's nearly at a season high for games. Last year he played between he played 50 regular seasons games last year, then 18 in the Arizona Fall League for 78, and right now he's at 75, 76 if you include the futures game. So I wonder if he gets up to 120, if they say, well, you know, we're just considering it a great year because he uh, he got through it healthy. Now to let him rest. Lame. <laughs> yep. I, I hope they don't. You know, I, I hope if he looks complete and looks like that, uh, you know, starting his clock and, and, and everything won't be, um, you know, jumping the gun and that he can, you know, whatever he picks up in September, he can learn from and, and go into the next season. I hope they call him up because uh, they've already shown that, um, you know, they're not going to set the market for free agents. So they can't afford to pay their own guys once in a while. I, I just don't understand the rationale because maybe I think you're right. They will go along with that thinking. Well, he played 120 games. Okay, so naturally, for the person that consistently says the development isn't linear, that, oh, then it's just he should be okay to play 150 plus games next year. <laughs> like, I just don't, yeah. I just don't understand that thinking. Uh, not saying that you are wrong, Jim. I'm just saying I could see Rick Hahn actually saying that. Oh, and I, sorry, I did my math wrong, too, so that was 68 games okay. last year. So he's already set a career high in games. Well, there you go. There you go. I, I think it's different from position players to pitchers when you're talking yeah. about innings, right? Yeah, I'm just trying to think, like, if they don't have the defense argument what do you have over him, yeah, <laughs> and that's the only thing I could come up with. If he, you know, if he looks as good in Charlotte as he uh, did in Birmingham. Right. So, Luis Robert, I hope. He knocks the cover off the ball. I'm confident that he will. I'm confident he's going to put up video game numbers. Also for Charlotte Knights, uh, Daniel Polk was optioned to Charlotte after Sunday's game. So currently the White Sox 25-man roster is at 24, and I don't know about the future of Daniel Polka moving forward with the Chicago White Sox after he's being optioned as the, that outfield is starting to get a little bit of a log jam uh, for the Charlotte Knights. But then again, Polka has been playing more first base and – I guess he could continue to split some time with Matt Skull, but that's the situation in Charlotte's. But with Robert joining the Knights, that's even more reason to watch the Charlotte Knights on the 
MILB streams. So be very exciting when he gets started with action. Now, speaking of exciting, uh, for those that love the home run derby, that is going to be Monday night at 7 p.m. Central Time. Uh, some news on the home run derby front. Christian Yelich is not going to participate in the home run derby. Uh, he is out with a back injury. It's not known if he's going to be playing in the All-Star game or not. Uh, so that gets to have some ratifications for the National League in Tuesday's game. Oakland Athletics third baseman Matt Chapman is taking his spot. So to quickly go through our home run derby bracket. Uh, in the first round, you got Matt Chapman against Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Jim, who do you like in that matchup? I think I like Vlad. I like Vlad as well. I think Vlad's going to put on a show Monday night in in Cleveland. Uh, the next matchup is Houston Astros third baseman Alex Bregman against Los Angeles Dodgers outfielder slash first baseman now as he's playing some time there. Jock Peterson. I think I'm going with Bregman. See, we're on the same page so far. I'm also going yeah. with Bregman. Uh, I think the next two are going to be pretty much chalk. You got New York Mets first baseman Peter Alonzo, who's having a crazy season. Against the home favorite Cleveland Indians first baseman Carlos Santana, who I really don't think of a home run hitter. And I'm not kind. I'm not sure what kind of show that he's going to put on because Alonzo's been crushing the ball. But do you see an upset here, Jim, with Carlos Santana? Or are you going with Alonzo? I think Alonzo, just watching him, you know, talking about making big parks look small, you know, what Alonzo does in City Field is really crazy. So uh, I sometimes think, you know, we, we've seen that with uh, Giancarlo Stanton before to where you, you have the massive power guys making their debut and they don't quite click and they disappoint a little bit. So I'm a little bit hesitant uh, to, I guess, go all in on Alonzo, but I really like, you know, the, just his swing seems tailor-made for the event. Then there's Pittsburgh Pirates first baseman Josh Bell, who's having an outstanding season, an outfielder for the Atlanta Braves, Ronald Acuna Jr. Uh, in the fourth matchup. I find this one pretty intriguing, and I'm curious on what side of the plate Josh Bell will be hitting from. But I'm going with Josh Bell between Bell and Acuna. Who are you going with, Jim? I think Bell's hitting from both sides. What? I think he's <laughs> I think he's playing to do both, which you know kind of makes sense in terms of fatigue. You know, if you want to be able to, uh, you know, not have to, you know, because you see as, as the, you know, the event goes on that you see guys take more pitches and start to get a little bit tired. So it does stand a chance of keeping them fresh. And, and when you watch him hit the ball, it's like, I think Acuna is being slept on a little bit uh, just because I think his contact is really sound too. But um, yeah, I feel like Bell is just, he seems like made for the event as well. And uh yeah, so I think I'm going to go Bell. All right, so that means the second round, you got Vlad Jr. against Alex Bregman. Who do you like in that matchup? I think I'm going with Bregman. See, I'm going to go with Vlad Jr. I got Vlad Jr. going to the final. So that's where we differ. And then you have Peter Alonso against Josh Bell on the other side of the bracket. Yeah, as tempting as I, I don't want to go chalk, or at least you know, it feels boring too, but I, I do like Alonso. See, I like Alonso as well. So that means in the final, I've got Vlad Jr. against Alonzo, and I have Alonzo winning the home run derby. Who do you got, Jim? Yeah, it feels like Alonzo, but that, your, your final is the one I want to see, but sometimes like a guy like Bregman sneaks in just with a uh, good repeatable swing and doesn't, yeah, you know, hits a lot of 420-foot homers. You know, nothing crazy, but just effective. I can see him doing that, but uh, yeah, I think Alonzo. I'm hoping Alonzo because I think he's going to be the most fun. Yeah, exactly. 
I'm definitely going with the fun pick. Watch, you'll be like Jock Peterson against Carlos Santana. Uh, yeah, the final. Well, Peterson's fun. He's got that big left hand swing. Santana would be the boring one. Yeah, Santana would. Although be the, the boring one. yeah, the crowd would be. He'd have the crowd on the side, and that's kind of fun. Like when Harper put on the show. Yeah, but it's different though. I mean, it's Bryce Harper. Yeah. So I mean, that's yeah, that would be slightly diminished, but it is kind of fun to see the uh, the crowd and uh, hitter working in concert. It's not. Yeah, he's not the showman that Harper is, but that's my argument for Santana, which isn't a whole lot of fun. If you would like to hear Jason Benetti call the home run derby, I believe that broadcast is going to be on ESPN2 as they have the StatCast broadcast of the home run derby on ESPN2. I I would be curious if, uh, I guess, like what the over-under is for him saying absolutely. Uh Uh-oh. Is that that a new catchphrase? Well, it's like his go-to adverb for... Dramatic moments. Absolutely. <laughs> all right. Uh, if you want to keep track of that, by all means, Jim, you can. Yeah, I won't be. I won't be able in a position to. <laughs> but should somebody be out there uh, and, and and is going to be watching the whole thing with Statcast and has a legal pad handy, I'd be curious. Like I could see it being maybe he's a professional, so I could see it being in the single digits. I could also see it being maybe. Uh, 25, just because he does uh, lean on that word a little bit. Okay. Okay. Well, I will take absolutely over Chris Bourbon's call of the home run derby. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Uh, Absolutely. (laughs) For the game itself on Tuesday, who do you think will win, Jim? The American League or the National League? I'm going with American League just because. Just just because? (laughs) Yep. All right, then I will go on the flip side. I think the National League. I think it's I think it's their due. I think it's their time to win the to win the All-Star game. Both lineups are very stacked. This is going to be a fun game on Tuesday. Uh and for those that are kind of bored with the concept and you don't, you know, maybe you just want to take a break away from baseball. I get it. But for White Sox fans, there will be an opportunity to see James McCann and Lucas Giolito and Jose Abreu at some point in this game. Uh, so I think for White Sox fans, especially the second half of the game, uh, you'll definitely want to tune in to see them in action. Uh, I think if you're only wanting to see these three play, my, I don't know, my maybe my advice, Jim, is for White Sox fans to try to tune in around the fourth inning when you can start seeing all three. Do you see Giolito maybe getting in before the fourth inning? It's possible, given that he's a starter. Um yeah, you know, there's a chance he could be maybe not second, but third. So I would maybe say third inning. Third inning. Okay, so there you go. So if you're following along on Twitter, and when folks say that Lucas Giolito is coming in the third inning, definitely tune in because eventually you'll also see James McCann and you'll see Jose Abreu during the All-Star game. Uh, but before we get to the minor league report, the All-Star break is always a nice time to pause and scan across the Major League Baseball standings, look at storylines to possibly reset narratives going into the rest of the 2019 season. And with that being said, Jim, which story right now in Major League Baseball intrigues you the most when the league picks up action again on Friday? I think it's the NL Central. I've been following that uh, the whole season. And when you look at the standings, the Cubs are in first place despite having you know massive issues on the road. But they're only ahead of uh, Milwaukee by a half game. And they're only ahead of last place Cincinnati by four and a half games. 
Like, I'm looking at the standings right now, and the, div the divide between first and last place in the NL Central is narrower than any uh, gap between the first and second place team in a division. Like, you look at the Central, the AL Central is five and a half games between first and second. <laughs> the NL Central between first and last is four and a half games. So that seems nuts to me. And I think, you know, Cincinnati has the potential. I think their offseason has kind of gone to plan. Uh, you know, they had a really aggressive, uh, fun, interesting offseason where even though they had a whole bunch of teams to conquer, uh, they did make a conservative buy and added a whole lot of talent that they weren't married to, didn't cost them their whole farm system, but they added a lot of major league talent. And I think we're kind of seeing that with their run differential. They're plus 27, despite being five games under 500, they can mess things up a little bit. So I'm, I'm fascinated by that division. Yeah, I wonder what the Cincinnati Reds, though. I mean, when you're four and a half games back of first place, you're definitely still within striking distance, even though they are currently at last place. I wonder if that start to the season is just is just too much to overcome, right? Yeah, I mean, I can see that they're not this. It's not the strongest roster, but I do think you know, they're in the similar spot as the White Sox, and maybe a little bit ahead in terms of major league talent on their roster. And I think that does show up in their run differential, but it doesn't seem like they would pull the rug out under that. I think this is part of it was hoping that they could, you know, get over at least over 500, you know, maybe they don't quite get there, but they, they show up with a winning record. They're a winning team. They get past the, the chronic losing that they've done and then puts them in a position to springboard for next year. So I think even, I think they are role models a little bit for the White Sox, just, you know, uh, as a way to improve their team without going all out for one or two players. And uh, and I'm, I'm rooting for them personally. But there, there's that National League, though. I mean, when you look at uh, the, the Reds are only four and a half uh, games out of the wild card, too. Really? Yeah, I mean, like you have, and the Nationals have improved. So you have Nationals. Uh, Phillies have 47 wins. Milwaukee has 47 wins. Arizona, 46. San Diego, 45. Colorado, 44. St. Louis, like all these teams between 41 and 47 wins. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight teams between 41, uh, 40, yeah, 41 and no, nine teams between 41 and 47 wins. Yeah. So the National League definitely deserves everyone's attention. So if you're not paying attention to the Chicago White Sox, keep an eye on the National League because. As Jim just laid out, uh, it's pretty crazy. But again, the Cincinnati Reds started 1-8 this season. So since game 10, they are 40-38. and 38. So two games above 500. And I, I think, I mean, there's a good chance all five teams in the National League Central, Jim, could finish above, finish at or above 500. It's possible. I think uh, Pittsburgh is the one I like the least out of it. Right. The expected win-loss record for the Pittsburgh Pirates, they should be in last place at 41-48. and 48. So they're overachieving by three games. But if you remember how I mentioned the White Sox are overachieving by six games, the Reds are underachieving by six games. The Reds should be in second place at 47-40, and 40, while the Chicago Cubs should be in 40. They're in by three games. So that's a very good one. I like that a lot. I think you could just pick the whole league to look at, especially with how close they are with the wild card race. I had no clue. I mean, yeah, even the San Francisco Giants are five and a half games back of the wild card. That's uh that is crazy. Uh mine kind of snuck up on me. Remember six weeks ago 
when we're talking about the Cleveland Indians and how the Minnesota Twins were just going to run away with the American League Central and it appeared that the window had been closed for the Indians. Mm -hmm. Well, the Cleveland Indians are now five and a half games back of the Minnesota Twins. And that snuck up on me. And currently right now, the Indians are 12 games above 500. They are 50 and 38. They have won six straight games. And I wonder if there's enough in the tank that they could catch the Twins. That would be quite the achievement for Cleveland to erase a, at one time, I believe is a 12-game deficit between the Twins and the Indians for first and second place. So that's that's the storyline that I'm looking at. I'm looking at the American League Central here, the, the two-team race between the Twins and Indians, to see if Cleveland can catch Minnesota. And, and I wonder then if the Twins offensive output in the first half was more fluky than we thought. Yeah, it's possible. Um, it, and I, th- I think we can put to rest the idea that they're going to trade Trevor Bauer. I think he's probably, yeah, that's unfortunate. Maybe the most, yeah, <laughs> uh, he might be maybe the most important player for a team going in the second half. Okay. Especially with Carl, uh, the terrible news about Carlos Carrasco, right? With the leukemia. Uh, yeah. So, you know, that's, that's tough, but I mean, uh, you know, given how much, uh, you know, he's 132 innings, you know, over 20 starts that you, know, you don't see that much from, uh, players anymore. And I think, you know, their bullpen's pretty good. So they can't overachieve in that regard. At least their, their late inning guys are good. Um, yeah, it's possible. You know, if they can get anything from, uh, Jose Ramirez, but yeah, he, he might be there. <laughs> I guess if you're looking at like a, an off or I would sh- should say like a trade deadline addition, you know, if they got the old Jose Ramirez back, that might be the one way to do it. Yeah, it'd be kind of crushing for the Twins because Twins fans, I don't, they're not on cruise control by no means, but they were very confident, very happy with the way that the season was unfolding and how realistic it was for them to winning the American League Central. But going into the All Star break, that division lead has shrunk to five and a half games. And that's definitely, there's definitely enough time for Cleveland to catch the Minnesota Twins, which would be a pretty big shocker, especially the pace that the Minnesota Twins were on. Uh, definitely going from May into June and just what the Cleveland Indians have been dealing with. And it, it's been impressive on Cleveland's turnaround. I guess the good news is for them is that they haven't played the Chicago White Sox, uh, which the White Sox have had <laughs> their number this year. Uh, in a in a kind of a bizarre way. But those are the storylines that we're going to be paying attention to. If you guys have storylines that you would like to share with us that uh, you'll be focusing on as action picks up again on Friday in Major League Baseball, again, follow us on Twitter and tweet them at us at Sox Machine. But coming up next, let's check in with the White Sox farm system in this week's minor league report. A quick word from our sponsor, Wix.com. Let's say you run a small business or thinking about launching one or you have a big event upcoming like a wedding or maybe you want to get your voice heard and decide to launch your own blog or podcast. You'll need a website to help launch and there is no better place to get started than at Wix.com. Over 140 million people use Wix for their website because it's easy to get started and publish for free. You can choose from 500 stunning templates, or if you have some design chops, you can make your own from scratch. With built-in SEO tools, you can get your website found 
online easily on Google and every site is automatically optimized for any device whether you're looking at it from a PC or mobile device. Wix even has built-in tools like storage, custom domains, custom email addresses, marketing tools, and e-commerce. With a dedicated support team, Wix can help you launch a complex website to help you run your entire business or a simple place for you to share your talents to the world. Whatever you are dreaming of, you'll need a website and Wix can help. Get started now by going to Wix.com. That's W-I-X.com slash podcast to get 10% off when you upgrade your site. Welcome to the Minor League Report. Nick Madrigal and Luis Robert played in the Futures game in Cleveland on Sunday night, with Madrigal batting second and Robert third. Both bounced out to the right side off Braves pitching prospect and Shenandoah High School product Ian Anderson in the first inning. Their second time up, Madrigal grounded into a 4-3 up the middle, and Robert struck out on three pitches. That was all the action for Madrigal, but Robert stayed in and flied out to center in his last two at-bats. The game went to an extra eighth inning and ended up tied at two, so we'll see if Major League Baseball overreacts and uses the features game to determine home field advantage in the World Series. At any rate, after the All-Star break, Madrigal will return to Birmingham, but Rick Hahn said that Robert will be on the way to Charlotte. Everybody will get a chance to see if AAA pitchers take advantage of Robert's aggressiveness, or if he has the plate of coverage to lay waste to the International League in Charlotte's tiny ballpark. Speaking of guys thriving in Charlotte, Yermin Mercedes is off to an impressive start at AAA. He homered on both Saturday and Sunday, giving him five over his first 14 games. He's hitting 327 with a 370 on base percentage and 714 slugging, and he's a hard guy to peg because he's 26 years old and isn't a good catcher, but he's shaped like a catcher and can't really play any other position. He's also extremely entertaining to watch, even during his Winston-Salem days. The better he hits, the harder it gets to figure out how the White Sox will prioritize his skills against those of Sebi Zavala, who hasn't really figured out how to hit at the level. That's especially true if Zach Collins gets sent back to AAA. Also, as the White Sox shuffle guys in and out of their bullpen, I'm starting to wonder if they'll give Jimmy Cordero a chance. He's allowed just one run and walked one batter over 14 and two-thirds innings while striking out 10, and his high 90s fastball has helped him to get a couple chances with Toronto and Washington. The Sox claimed him off waivers from Seattle last month, so he is on the 40-man roster. The Birmingham Barons are still rolling. They've won 11 of their last 12, including a pair of victories over the weekend without Madrigal or Roberts. Of all the resurgent performances in the lineup, Gavin Sheets has been doing it longer than anybody else. He's batting 333 with a 400 OBP and a 577 slugging percentage over his last 33 games, with only 21 strikeouts and 13 walks. Blake Rutherford isn't far behind, as he's raised his average up to 268, but he doesn't have Sheets extra base hits or reduced strikeout rate going for him. The Winston-Salem Dash are waiting patiently for Andrew Vaughn, because right now Steel Walker is the only attraction. I was hoping catcher Carlos Perez would make the jump because he has a Nick Madrigal-like aversion to strikeouts, but he's only hitting 243 and slugging 312, despite striking out just 16 times all season. He's only 22, so he has a little time to add muscle. For now, Vaughn is with Kannapolis with two hits and three strikeouts over his first 10 at-bats. He adds more offense to an Intimidators lineup that is scoring more runs, although they seem to have a different hero every night. Guys like Lennon Sosa, Bryce Bush, and Corey Zangari are all doing decently for their experience levels, but they all run varying degrees of hot and cold. The same can be said for Davis Martin, who is back on a hot streak. He struck out 15 batters over his last two starts, giving him 98 over 91 innings on the season. Down in the rookie leagues, the breakout performances are all in the Arizona League, with DJ Gladney, Brian Ramos, and Jose Rodriguez entering Sunday with four-digit OPSs. 
Rodriguez is especially fascinating. He's an 18-year-old Dominican infielder who has spent more time at short than anywhere else, and there hasn't been much written about him because he didn't sign for a consequential amount of money. But he performed in the DSL last year, and he's stinging the ball in his first two weeks stateside. He hasn't doubled the season, but he's got five homers and three triples over his first 12 games. That'll do it for the minor league report. Now let's answer your questions in P.O. Sox. You've stuffed our mailbox all week with questions from your tweets and Facebook posts. Now to cure your curiosity on the White Sox, here is P.O. Sox. Thanks, Rob. And yes, this is our favorite part of the show where you, the fans and listeners, get to ask the questions. It's P.O. Sox, where you submitted your questions to us via Twitter, tweeting them to us at Sox Machine, posting your questions on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Sox Machine, and of course, helping support the site and the show at patreon.com slash Sox Machine. And Jim is here to answer your questions, and the first question that we have, Jim, comes from Matt on Twitter. And Matt is asking, what are your thoughts on how Zach Collins is being handled? Should they carry a third catcher to free up Collins to DH more? If so, who would you prefer? Wellington Castillo, Sebi Zavala, or Yerman Mercedes? I would say it's suboptimal, but necessary, just being the nature of catchers and needing two of them. Um, when you look at what Collins is doing in Charlotte, I think it was time for him to come up. Uh, Sebi Zavala has not performed and, and uh, you know, might be a 40-man roster reshuffling in the future for him. But, you know, I, th- I think when you're looking at trying to compose a 25-man roster that's looking to win games, I think Collins is a better part of that. Also, I think with catchers, I think there's some value in being up and learning how the Major League staff prepares and being in on meetings and learning the pitchers and so forth. So I think even if he's not playing every day, there is some value in him being in the meetings and learning about how to handle pitchers and and how to handle these specific pitchers. I think as soon as Wellington Castillo is ready, I haven't really heard much of them. Um, Strained oblique, uh, they haven't really had a timetable for him or anything. I'm not sure if that's just because he's not really front of mind or exciting. You know, the way that like somebody like Collins is more interesting to writers or if it's because Castillo isn't ready. But I think, you know, should the um, pitching handedness even out a little bit, like we said with Mancata, they faced a ton of lefties and really Collins shouldn't be in there against lefties. Uh, if that evens out, then I think you'll see more regular playing time for Collins. And, you know, I think we'll learn something about him. I think right now we're learning that he's not quite ready. <laughs> I think some of the flaws we feared with him and uh, in the minors are being realized in the majors. But again, I think it's also being, you know, the regular playing time and the amount of lefties he's seeing doesn't really help him so much. So hopefully one Castillo is back and Collins heads back to uh, to Charlotte to play a bit more regularly. But if not, hopefully there are more righties to where Collins can play a bit more and uh, they help him out there. And, you know, if he has like a Daniel Palka-like stretch where he's one for forever, then, you know, head back into the drawing board and, and uh, you know, hopefully Castillo's ready by then to take up the rest of it. But I, I do think they're... Zavala Mercedes Collins situation in Charlotte's a little bit fascinating because they're all kind of misfits and you could all you could probably piece together a really great catcher out of all their parts but the way they're kind of shaped individually uh there might not be a replacement level catcher there so it's kind of fascinating when you see the situation but uh Zavala right now I think is in danger just because he hasn't shown he can hit triple a yet uh and uh Mercedes is uh, kind of making him, uh, exposing him a little bit, just the uh, the offensive struggles he's had. 
Mercedes is a bit on the older side, right? Last I checked, yeah. he was 26. Yep, but Zavala is on the older side too. So it's not like a 26-year-old versus a 22-year-old. Mm-hmm. It's Zavala's 25. Uh, I'm looking to see when he turns 26. Okay. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, if, there's, if there was a way you could take all three and take the best parts of them and combine them together, you would have a very useful catcher. Yeah, Mercedes is six months older than Zavala. Okay. So what would be really interesting is what Chris Getz does in Charlotte for the catching position. Does he send Sebi Zavala back to double A? It's possible. You know, if if it's gotten... You know, I think earlier in the season when uh, Castillo had the concussion and they had to bring up a catcher, I think Zavala's uh, knowledge of pitchers and ability to call a game and such, that it was a reason to call him up and get him to the majors and see just how bad or how far away his bat was. And then he struck out a ton and pretty much answered that question. But, you know, as the season gets closer to uh, the end and the beginning, and you can put up with a flawed catcher just to see if you can get him, you know, get his strengths in line, like Collins, you know, maybe he's not a great game caller, but, you know, as you get to expand the rosters and the games kind of turn into a mess, maybe you just prioritize Collins's bats more than anything else. You know, then I can see Zavala's, you know, maybe soft skills or, or the intangibles really not making that much of a difference to where he does fall into that uh, Alfredo Gonzalez rabbit hole a little bit. I hope not just because I, I think Zavala's, you know, uh, the success he's had in the minors is, uh, has been a nice story and I'd like to see that continue. But, you know, Mercedes is a nice story in and of itself. You know, he, he doesn't really catch that well and he's got an arm, but his, uh, you know, his hands are hard and he doesn't really block pitches all that well. He's kind of, you know, five foot 11, so he can't really play first base. <laughs> it's a, uh, it's a tricky position, but the way he's hammering the ball uh, and, and I've always liked watching him play um, he plays a lot of energy and a lot of character. Um, I, I'm hoping he forces his way into the picture a little bit, not just because Zavala is that bad. Well, you mentioned that he's five foot eleven, so he can't play first base. But the White Sox just drafted with their first round pick, Jim, a five foot eleven first baseman. Yeah, but I, I think with the athleticism that <laughs> that Vaughn has, uh, yeah, you're, it, which is not a lot. Well, I think for a first baseman, probably more than enough. Mercedes, yeah, considering that they could, you know, they had the idea to move him to third, you know, to to improve his stock a little bit. I, I think he's got, you know, Mercedes is not an athlete. So could your Mercedes be the White Sox Evan Gaddis? That's why I want you know if he hits the ball that hard to where he can you know passively catch for a day or two a week and be a DH and you know just have a lot of fun no matter where he's playing then I can kind of see it like it's not crazy to see you know give him those at bats you say if Collins keeps striking out the way he's striking out and if Zavala's bat never hits at Charlotte if he had to play somebody you know, as a potential backup or DH and you have these at-bats to give them, it wouldn't be the worst use of it. Well, Matt, you gave us a lot to discuss, and I'm sure the discussion will continue uh, as Zach Collins, again, not off to the best start in his major league career. Hopefully he could turn around and show a little bit more life, but right now uh, it's he's a two-results hitter. He's striking out or he's walking. And I think, you know, with Mercedes, you're talking about heights, I think he's uh, 5'11", but shorter. Ah, it's a it's a it's a short five eleven. Yeah, he looks a lot more fire pluggy than Vaughn does. <laughs> oh, but Matt, thank you so much for your question. Our next question comes from Simeon, and he he gets right to the point. Jim, is Lurie Garcia a trade piece? 
It's possible. You know, you talked about, you know, it's, it's a good guy to bring up when you're talking about buying, selling, or holding. Um, given that he, you know, right now, he provides value as a center fielder who can play shortstop. But if all is going well for the White Sox, Luis Robert will be in center, Tim Anderson will be at short, and then, you know, where would he play? Or like, where does he, you know, on a, on a major league team, where would he play 100-plus games? You know, a good one. Um I don't know, you know, like with this White Sox team, especially if, you know, he's going to be a free agent. You know, he's good at a super sub, but right now if he's showing his value as an everyday player, uh, is there a team that can use him more right now? I don't quite know. Um, right now, I think his value is specifically to the White Sox. Great, because, I mean, like they don't have, if he weren't playing center field every day, what would the White Sox have had in center field? You know, <laughs> Adam Angle and, and Charlie Tillerson and Ryan Court, like it would have been really ugly in center. So he's saved center field. Now with... Anderson getting hurt, he saved shortstop. And right now they're kind of patching together center field, but he saved two positions for the White Sox just because their depth chart is so thin. For a team that's competing, does he offer enough for that team for them to pony up something meaningful for the White Sox? I don't quite know. And I think the thing with Garcia too is that, you know, as you're building a team that's trying to compete in 2020, you know, does his ability to play center, short, second, you know, all the up the middle positions that aren't catcher. Um, and then, you know, fill in a corner and such. Does that help Rick Hahn out more than it would help out another GM? Just if he's trying to, you know, if you know, you have a guy like Garcia in your back pocket who can, you know, you know, fingers crossed, you know, if he doesn't have a health setback or something like that, you know, be an average player at a few different positions. Uh, would you want him in the mix as you try to solve right field and, and, uh, and, and have a backup plan for center that if Robert isn't quite ready or gets hurt again, or have uh, a better upgrade for a Yolmer at second base. Um, you know, there are a lot of positions that might need to be filled and to have Garcia be able to plug in any one of those for a season might be more value than, uh, you know, than Garcia can provide for a team that is looking for an impact from one position. You know, Garcia's impact is hard to qualify, uh, or, or describe, I think we've seen it personally just because we've seen it every day. Very weird leadoff hitter, but effective. Um, very, yeah, an unusual build for a center field, but he gets the job done. Shortstop, he just shows up there and is playing it decently. So, yeah, just it's a weird mix. And I don't know if another team would evaluate it and appreciate it as much as the White Sox have had just because the White Sox have been so thin that his production has been really amazing. And I don't know if he looks really amazing to other teams. Simeon, thank you so much for your question. Our next question comes from Russell the K9. And Russell is asking, is Anthony Rendon a free agent possibility, or is it safe to say that Yoan Makata has entrenched himself as a third baseman moving forward? I would say Rendon right now might not be a free agent possibility for any team, um, just because they are talking about an extension with him. And I think with the way the Nationals have rebounded and, and, you know, they looked like they might be another, uh, you know, Davey Martinez disaster and uh, we're under 500 you know, in a tough division. We're under 500 and might not get the traction all of a sudden, you know, they're, uh, you know, chasing down the Braves now. And I think Rendon is a big part of that. I think he's a big part of their team. And, you know, the, the Nationals do have a history of working well with Scott Boris. It didn't really work with Bryce Harper, but it did work with, uh, Scherzer and it did work with um, Strasburg, so they have a history of of coming to terms with Boris. And so, you know, t- when they're talking a midseason extension with him, and with the free agent market being kind of scary for 
even the big ticket guys who will have a qualifying offer on them. I, I could see the case where Rendon gets a deal. He likes the Nationals and stays there. So I think, you know, that's, I guess, my bigger concern. Then, you know, if it comes to the White Sox, I don't think they're going to, you know, as we saw with Manny Machado, who is a perfect fit for them and right now is delivering for the Padres what we'd hope he would deliver for the White Sox. Um, I, you know, I don't think he would be a possibility for, you know, Rendon wouldn't be a possibility for the White Sox. And I, I do think with Mankata stepping up at third base, I, I don't think you'd want to move him now. Um, I, I think he's looked better at third. I, I guess the difference defensively between him at third and him at second is great enough to where I wouldn't move him back to second and risk you know, losing some of the gains he's made. I think you don't uh, get too cute with it. You treat him as a third baseman of the future and try to upgrade elsewhere. Well, Russell, again, thank you so much for your question. Terrific questions from everybody this week in P.O. Sox. Thank you guys so much for your questions. If you have a question or topic that you would like us to tackle in a future episode of the Sox Machine podcast, again, follow us on Twitter. We're at Sox Machine. Like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Sox Machine. And again, help support the site and the show at patreon.com slash Sox Machine where you guys get additional content. Jim just released the month in the box for the month of June for our Patreon supporters that you can check out. Uh, And with every episode of the podcast, our Patreon supporters get an ad-free show Plus, they get an opportunity to ask additional questions to our guests and get to ask additional P.O. Sox questions, uh, which are always fun to answer and parse through. Uh, so if you like our work and you want more from us, go to patreon.com slash machine to sign up. You also sometimes get swag. We have new swag items. We got Sox Machine koozies, and I've been told they look pretty awesome. Uh, So we will be giving those out as well, especially for those that will be attending the meetup that we're having in a couple of weeks on July 21st out in Downers Grove at Alter Brewing as we'll be watching the White Sox and Tampa Bay Rays, a road watch party. Uh, I I haven't checked, Jim. Are we sold out of that event? Yes, we are. Uh, There is a waiting list possibility, so I will be sending an update, um, you know, should people not make it, there are people who want to be able to get involved. So uh, I will be asking for courtesy. So there you go. Space is limited. So if you have signed up already and reserved, when you get the email from Jim, please reserve uh, or confirm your reservation. Uh, if you can't make it, get yourself on the waiting list. So your number could be called and uh, it'll be great to see you. We'll be passing out some koozies and hang out with everybody. So I'm really looking forward to this event. Again, it's at Alter Brewery uh, at Downers Grove. So it'll be great to see everybody there. And that will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening to the show. If you're new to the Sox Machine Podcast, you can subscribe to the show via Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Audioboom.com slash Sox Machine. The Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. 
legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history, relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.